So again, it is a privilege and honor to be with you this week, knowing that God has been faithful to us and even allowing us to be here another week. We were not promised today. We were not guaranteed to be with one another. So I just say thank God for allowing me to see you once again. If you would, please take out your Bibles and let's turn to the book of Galatians, where we we will be picking up pretty much where we left off last week in the first chapter of Galatians. Last week, we spent our time just looking at verse 10 and at what God had done with Paul and Paul's present motivation. But today, we're going to continue on in this text and see just what God had done in the past of Paul that motivated him to be so passionate, so zealous for Christ. So if you would, grab your Bibles. Galatians, the first chapter, stand with me as we read the word of God together. The reality is, this, this text is so rich, we could spend two or three more sermons on it, but God be praised, we're going to hit this and we're going to keep on going through the book. So, Galatians, the first chapter, beginning with verse 10. This is the word of God. Hear the voice of Christ. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother, and what I am writing you before God, I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glory God because of me. May the Lord have a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated as we continue on in our study, free to testify today, free to testify today. Let us pray. Oh, gracious and eternal Father, we come before your presence this morning begging that you would have mercy on us. Begging that you would forgive us of our sins and our iniquities. 
begging that you would pour out your spirit upon us, that we would see, that we would hear, that our hearts would receive your word. And because you have filled us up with your word, Lord, we will go out and speak your word to someone today. Father, we do thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who is our Savior. Him and him alone, we have salvation. We have a relationship with you for that we are grateful eternally. Holy Spirit, please speak to us. We are at your disposal. Do as you please in this place. Father, whatever strongholds, whatever yokes, whatever chains may be hindering one from seeing the beauty of Christ, may you break those chains. May your spirit bring life to dead hearts, dear God, even now. Father, help us to love you as we ought, to not fear, to, because we have not been given a spirit of fear. Father, help us to love you, to desire you, to want more of you. Father, may your spirit be with me, your broken servant. I'll be a vessel for your use this day. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Amen. So last week we were reminded that everybody has a past. Everybody has a story of where they come from, how they've journeyed along the way. And in our past there's a lot of highlights, but then there's a lot of lowlights too. There are some trophies we want to put on the shelves for everyone to see, but there's, there's some skeletons that we keep back locked in the closet, don't we? But everybody has a past. But as we talked about last week, we often try to hide our past. We try to cover up our past. And we do that by trying to give an outward appearance that we have things all together. That we're better off than what we really are. Oh, how are you today, brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so? I am blessed and highly favored, knowing the brokenness that you just came out of. We have a way of, of, of not wanting to be transparent or to expose just what's really going on. But we said, even as much as we try to hide who we are or what has happened, what has transpired in our past, we cannot because what has taken place in our lives makes us who we are now. We said last week that your past makes you and your past marks you, makes you who you are, and it shows people a glimpse of what you may have gone through in your life. So I ask that you would consider your life for a moment. If there was a projector, a reel running through your mind, what would be some of the memories that play? What would be some of the things that show forth on that movie screen of your mind as you think back to your past, as you think about your story? I'm afraid some of you don't even realize that you got a story to tell. And God wants to use that story that he's written with your life in order to make him known to others. That's what God, that's what he's doing. 
That's what's so freeing about the gospel. That God takes all that, he takes all that junk, all that trash, and he turns it into treasure. He wants to take all that you are, all that you've been through, all that has taken place, and he wants to use it for his glory and his glory alone. So again, I'm here to remind you, to let you know that this gospel of grace doesn't want to destroy your past. This gospel of grace wants to employ your past. Because the gospel completely frees, know that God will use the past of his people to accomplish his present purposes. God will use the past of his people to accomplish his present purposes. There's, there's times where we, we think about our life and, and we're thinking that someday God will use me. Beloved, realize that God wants to use you right now. The moment that the Holy Spirit alivens and wakens your heart, that's the moment where you, you know that God wants to use you for his purposes. He has made you alive. So when we look back to last week and we went through this passage of Scripture, we looked at two primary things. Well, we started with the first thing, and the first point that we looked at was Paul's present motivation. Why did Paul go so hard for Jesus? Why was he so passionate? And he was so passionate because he had a a firm grasp and understanding that the gospel of grace frees you from your past to passionately pursue Jesus now. There's nothing about your past that would hinder you from chasing Jesus now. Because our past plus our present plus God's grace equals purpose. That's an equation for you. Those who don't like math, it's simple addition. Past plus your present plus grace equals purpose. God wants to use everything by his grace for his glory. And in verse 10, we saw that Paul was making a declaration of freedom. He is saying, I I am not bound by by you any longer. I will not live to, to please you. You can't hold me down by your thoughts or your expectations. I'm free to live for Jesus. Then he made a declaration of deliverance because he, as he went through the text, he says, I, am I still trying to please God? He is saying that, yeah, this is how I used to be. I used to live a life where I wanted to be pleasing to everyone. I was a man pleaser, but no longer. Then he makes a declaration of submission because he says that he wants to be a servant of Christ rather than a servant of man. There's that matter of conformity at at stake. Will will you be conformed to the image of Jesus or will you be conformed to the image of the world? Who will you chase? Who will you follow? The gospel of grace frees you from your past to passionately passionately pursue Jesus now. See, but today we want to look at another point in the text. We want to look at Paul's past redemption. See, in hopes of keeping the Christians in Galatia from falling away from the truth, Paul revisits his past in order to secure their future. He goes back to his past to help them make it, to make sure that they don't fall off and go astray, led by these Judaizers who who wanted to disrupt and destroy this gospel. 
See, Paul is standing up against them, and, and the way that he does it is that he's pointing to the authenticity and the authority of the gospel he has been preaching. This is the real thing, the real deal. But it's sweet the way he does it, because he defends the gospel not with some, some philosophical argument. He, you know what he does? He does it with a testimony. Oh, the power of a testimony. Look what God has done for me. Look where God has brought me from. Don't, don't you see who I am today? Don't you know had it not been for the Lord? A testimony is so powerful. And this text is so beautiful because inlaid in it, Paul actually gives us a biblical model of what a testimony should sound like and what a testimony is really for. What we see in these verses is that the gospel of grace frees you through your past to passionately pursue Jesus now. See, to understand Paul's present motivations, his, distract, his detractors must see his past redemption. Verses 11 through 24, he lays this argument out. He's saying this is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from man, but through revelation. And not, not only that, I, this is how I used to be. This is how I used to live. Verse 11, for I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. For I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Christ. So you have to believe, you have to believe me because much is at stake. Paul is saying, listen to me, so much, your salvation is at stake. The church in Galatia, they were being tempted to hold on to a message crafted by human hands. They were exchanging the truth for a lie. Like, like in Romans 1 where it talks about man understands that there is a God and he's accountable to, to this God. But man in their, in their sinfulness has exchanged the truth of God being in charge and, and, and put a lie in his place saying that they are in charge. But beloved, what Paul wants us to see is that if if this gospel was made by a man, it will point back to a man. If the gospel was made by a man, it will point back to a man. Well, what do you mean, preacher? I mean, we have a tendency when we tell a story to make it all about us, don't we? If the gospel was about man, some way in there, there would be a facet where you could stand up and say, but I did it. I was able to choose God. I was able to work hard enough that he picked me. I, I made such an impact and an impression on the kingdom that God chose to use me for his purposes. That's a man's gospel. But this is not a man's gospel. Why? Because the whole thing points to God. He called you. He set you apart. He sent for you. He brought you near. He died on the cross. He put your sins away. He raised them up. He's making all things new. Everything is, was, was, was for him and through him and to him. And this gospel is all about God. And often our Christianity, we make, we make salvation about us. That if I just get saved, then I'm okay. 
Not if I get saved, I wonder how God's going to use me. I got my ticket. I don't know about you. I got, I got my way in. I, 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 it don't matter what you're going through. But God is saying he's saving the people to himself for a purpose that's bigger than your own life. Paul exposes this when he, in verse 11, when he calls them brothers. They, brothers. They haven't fell away yet. Don't fall away. Don't, don't make the salvation about you. Don't make it about man. And he, then he, he, he's letting them know that his message is superior because his gospel is divine in origin. Look here. He says, how did he receive it? Verse 12, through a revelation of Jesus Christ. This is the same language used in Ephesians 1.15 where he's asking that God will give them a spirit of wisdom and a revelation and the knowledge of him. What is he saying? He's saying, the stuff I know, man can't tell you. The stuff that has been revealed to me has come from God alone. He has opened up my eyes. That's what revelation means. Uh, revelation means an unveiling, a laying bare, the, the removal of that which conceals. Apart from Christ working in your life, you would not understand the gospel. Apart from God moving and, and opening the, the pages of Scripture up, you cannot understand God. So our prayer is that, Lord, I don't understand, but help me. Give me wisdom. Give me insight. This deep understanding. So, so to reject the gospel is actually to reject the very word of God. To say that there was a a works-based salvation is to reject God himself. Paul, Paul's message is superior because it's divine, but here's the point. Paul's message is superior because his gospel actually changes people. Look here in verses 13 and 14. He says, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and, I, and tried to destroy it, and I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. Paul begins this passage by testifying to his past pursuits. That's the beginning of a testimony. How I used to be. And Paul is laying out, this is what I used to do. This is my life before Jesus. This is B.C. days, before Christ. And before Christ, Paul was wicked. He was evil. He is, he is seeking man's approval. Look here, he says, my former life in Judaism. He makes sure you understand, that's how I used to be. My former life, I used to try to uh, hang with the big dogs. My former life, it was all about showing off myself. In my former life, I used to pursue fame and fortune at the cost of Christians. How I persecuted the church of God violently. Tried to destroy it. Do you understand Paul's past, like, for real? Like, when we think about Paul, it's just like, man, he was such a great apostle and writer of scripture. Paul was a terrorist. He was wreaking havoc on the church. That's like Osama bin Laden persecuting us 
putting some to death, you watched him chop off your, your mother's head, your father's head, kill c- complete villages, lock up all your friends in jail, and then, he, and then God does a work in his heart and changes him. This is who he was. He threatened, he imprisoned, he murdered, and he did this because he thought he was serving God. See, that's the, that's the most zealous people, where they actually think they're doing God a favor by persecuting Christians. See, Paul, he, he, he's thinking back to Numbers 25 and Phineas. He's thinking about his, his zeal. You remember when, when the Israelites were in the wilderness acting a fool one day? And God brought a plague because they were, they were marrying with the Moabites. They were marrying with the people in the land. And as, as judgment is being poured out, this, this, this one dude has the audacity to go get one of the Moabite women and bring them back to his tent in front of everybody. And Phineas is like, he's he crazy. What is he doing? And his zeal for the Lord rose up within him such that he took a spear, went to their tent, and pierced both of them. God actually honored Phineas for that, for that zeal, that passion for the Lord. I wonder, do we, do we really have any passion for, for the Lord? Do we actually care about the purity of the gospel? Do we care about the purity of our lives? Do we care about the purity of our homes? Some of the stuff we're doing in our homes, some of the stuff we're watching on TV, some of the things that are happening in our homes, and we're like, oh, well, you know, I just can't. Uh, don't you know that God cares about the purity of our lives? Paul says he was zealous. He was going so hard for God, he believed. But just because someone is sincere doesn't mean they can't be wrong. Think about, think about you, you out, out somewhere and someone walks by and you look like, you know, you think it's an old classmate or that's your cousin. You're like, oh, oh yeah. And you run up and you about to, you about to uh, talk to him and you like slap him on the back like, hey, what's up? And they turn around and look at you like, and you're like, oh, I thought you were somebody else. You were sincere in your actions, weren't you? But you was dead wrong. So it doesn't matter how hard you go for anything else. When it comes to Christ, you have to get it right. You can't get a halfway gospel. You got to have a whole way gospel. You have to know what you're talking about. So Paul, in his former life, was going hard for a false gospel. He is sincere, but he's sincerely wrong. And in his past, what Paul really lays out is the fact that he wasn't looking for God anywhere. He's trying to explain to this church, there's nothing about me that was redeemable. There's nothing about me that deserved God's grace. There was nothing that I did for him to set his face upon me. Don't you know how wicked I was? There was not, I wasn't trying to figure out God. I wasn't 
a, 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 a friendly person to religion. I was an outright enemy of God. That's who I was. Don't you realize? He wants them to see the power of the gospel to transform hearts. Someone who was not looking for God in any place, he says, but he got me. But he got me. What was your life like before Jesus? What was your life before you met Jesus? What was your pursuits? See, see, we don't believe that the gospel is glorious news because we minimize our past. We will point at someone else and like, oh, they foul. Oh, look at them. They wicked. Oh, look what they doing over there. I can't believe they let that go on their house. All the while, you're sinking deeper in your own filth, in your own mess. You want to point at somebody else while you're sinking. The gospel is only good to dying people. But if you think you're alive, the gospel is just, hey, I, I'm going to do my Jesus thing today and I'm, I'm going to go to church because I know that's what I'm supposed to do. But the gospel is glorious to those who are sinking, dying, dead. What was your life like before Jesus? Was you a goody two-shoes? Were you, were you looking for God? Were you dependable? Were you faithful? Were you loving and kind? Were, were, were you any, any good to God's team? See, that's the problem. We think we were. We think we were. We can look through the Ten Commandments and squash that. Have you ever used the Lord's name in vain? And. Have you always honored your mother and father? Eh. Have you ever accidentally stolen something that did not belong to you? Eh. Then, Jesus, then Jesus got the nerve to take it to another level. He doesn't say, do you commit adultery? He says, have you ever looked upon a woman with lust? Have you ever looked upon a dude with lust? His, uh, he on the video, he got that six-pack going. He got that sweet tattoo down his arm, and your, your jaw like, you know, and you're just looking. And somebody drive up in a new car, you're like, how they get that car? I know what they work. What are they doing with that? Are, are we covetous? And but you know what? That's God's law. And he says, if you just break any one of his laws, you deserve hell. That you have committed cosmic treason against his kingdom. You deserve to be banished from his presence forever because of your rebellion against his kingdom and his kingdom rule. That's the reality of our sin. It's a stench to God's nostrils. And he hates it. So Paul lay, he lays out his passage. This is, who, this is who I used to be. But then he moves 
and he testifies to his past appointment. Verse 15. But when he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me. Stop right there. Verse 15. What does Paul say? Paul says, okay, this is how I was before I met Jesus. But this is how I met Jesus. And what does he, he lays out these words. He says, he says, I was, he had set me apart before I was born. Paul's saying from eternity past, God had already called me. From eternity past, he had already chosen to set his love and affections on me. He wasn't waiting for me to get it right. He wasn't waiting for me to prove my value, my worth. He says he appointed it. He called my name. He wrote it down. He said, this is what's going to happen. Paul will be my child. So he was set apart. He was elected in eternity past, chosen for God's purposes. And then he says, but, but that past, that, that, that past calling, that past setting apart had a present happening in time. This is his calling. By grace, what does he say? He says, he called me by his grace at a specific moment in time. All that God was working for his glory, for his honor, came to fruition on the road to Damascus. He's talking about the series of events that took place for him to be saved. You know, taking evangelism courses, they say the average person who does come to Christ, there's usually at least seven to 11 gospel touches before they trust Christ. What does that mean? That means that somebody somewhere has shared the gospel with that person and they've heard it seven to 11 times before they repent of their sin and trust in Jesus for salvation. Think about your salvation. Then one day you just woke up and came into church and you heard the gospel and it's like, oh yeah, I want that. People praying for you. People taking time to teach you. People sowing in your, your life. Showing up to worship when you're little. Singing in the, the children's choir going to vacation Bible school. Don't you know, just because we don't see the effects of everything immediately, God is using all those touches in time to do something in your life. If you think that you were just so sophisticated that you heard the gospel and got saved, you lying to yourself. Because God has been using situations and circumstances and and weather patterns and the calendar and your job and your husband and your wife and your sister, your brother, your, your, your uncles. He's using things in time to save you now. In the moment you cry out, Lord, help me, I'm a sinner. Save me. Grace. Grace snatches you out. 
at that moment in time where he says, I got you. I called you already. Now I'm just coming to get you. I've already phoned in the order. I'm just picking it up right now. I come to get my child. Call by grace. And he says, this is what took place in me. He, re- he revealed his son, some translation says, to me, in me. There's two experiences in one. That, that, that first experience is, is the fact that the understanding of who Jesus is was made known to Paul. He understood that Jesus died for his sins. He understood that he was wretched and in need of forgiveness. So he understood Christ. He understood the Son. But then the second part of that is he understood that God would show himself off through me. People would see Jesus through my lips. People would see Jesus through my lives. People would see Jesus on the job because I am his and he is mine. Paul had a come-to-Jesus moment. Where did you meet Jesus? When did you meet Jesus? When was your come-to-Jesus moment? You know, people have a tendency to remember memorable moments. If I said things like 9-11, where were you? Yeah, we remember where we were. If I said things like, you remember that one concert? Oh, yeah. I remember that time. If I said, you remember that game? You remember that shot? But for the dudes, the drive. That's all I got to say. We know it's football, John Elway, the Broncos. I know what that means. But you ask some people when they meet Jesus, they can't give you a clear answer. I don't know. Then is that salvation? If God has set you apart, but he calls you in time, shouldn't there have been a moment where you recognize your sinfulness and recognize your need for Jesus, and you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Ain't that what the Bible said? Thou shalt be saved? Was it immediate? Was it at that moment? I heard the gospel the 11th, 12th time, and I understood it, and my heart was broken, and I confessed Christ. Or was it over time? You know, I grew up in, in a particular home, and the Lord was just, just leading me by grace. But you know what? No matter if it was immediate or if it was over time, you should know when you got saved. See, that's the thing. If you don't, if you don't, you need to question, has God really worked in your heart? Or are you just being religious? Paul is saying there was a moment when the gospel knocked me off my block. 
Then he goes on to say, he testifies to his present purposes. In verses 16 through 24, we won't read them all. But he says, verse 16, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. We stop right there. Because everything else is just a result of his in order. Everything else that comes in this chapter is a result of what has taken place since Paul met Jesus. He's recalling what has taken place after he has come to Christ. That's, that's your testimony, who I was before Christ, how I met Christ, and who I am now because of Christ. And, it, and he's laying it out, and he says, uh, he saved me, why? In order that I might preach. He didn't say, I saved you in order that you would start going to church. He didn't say, I saved you in order for you to be a, a deacon. He didn't say, I saved you in order to be an usher. He says, I, I saved you in order that you might preach Christ. Paul wasn't converted for his own benefit. That's what we do. I'm saved. I'm good. His salvation wasn't for his own benefit, but that he might preach, declare. Isn't that what we read? We I was with the saints last week, and we read this verse, 1 Peter 2 and 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Like, we hear that. We're like, we're like God, oh, God, talking about me. I'm a chosen. Oh, yeah, I'm, I, I, I got royalty on my name. Yeah. Uh, a people for his own possession. Oh, yeah, God, I know God, and he knows me. We, we hallelujah, but we missed the next part of the verse. Because he says, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into the marvelous light. He didn't save you for yourself. He saved you to put his stamp on you, his seal on you, so others would see and come to know the Savior. That's why he saved you. But we think that our past could never be used by God. How could God use me? Look, look at what I used to be. How I, how I used to go here, how I used to go there. You know, I like, I like war movies. And in war movies, when they're getting ready to siege the castle, like Lord of the Rings, I'm all day. I, I, I would spend all day watching all three Lord of the Rings, and then I'll go back and watch all the Hobbits, like back to back to back. I'm just like that. But, so, but in these movies, as they are sieging the castle, they usually have some type of trebuchet. And what that is, it's basically a catapult that throws rocks to knock down walls in order that you may take siege of the castle. And what will take place is the trajectory of the rock is determined by the weight or the tension on the rope. And the more weight in the basket, the faster it falls down and it swings the arm towards, towards the castle to knock down those walls. It takes the stone and it flings it. And so the heavier it is, the higher it goes. See, someone should be tracking with me right now. See, because that's how God uses your past. It doesn't matter where you're from or what you did, but he takes all that 
those stones and the garbage and that junk, and he puts it in the, in the basket. But the heavier the basket is, high, the higher the stone goes. See, some of y'all got testimonies. Y'all won't tell nobody, but God is trying to use your life to knock down some walls. See, God wants to use your story to throw these stones at walls in other people's lives to tear down these walls so Christ can take seeds of their kingdom. Think about your bag is just extra weight for the mission. You ain't got to be ashamed about it because God wants to use all of that for his purposes. So then we see Paul, he begins to preach this gospel immediately because he had the right gospel. He doesn't need anyone to corroborate his story, but yet there are people, there's the church in, in Judea, there's people in Cilicia, there's people he went back to in Damascus. All of these people are saying, hey, Paul legit. His gospel is for real because I see what it did to him. Paul's, Paul's gospel is genuine because he is walking faithfully with God. The purpose of Paul's testimony was to make much of God. And we see this in verse 23. They were only hearing it said, he who used to, that's that word, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And what did they do because of what God did with Paul? And they glorified God because of me. Is Paul saying this boastfully, like, I'm all that? No, he's saying I was such a wreck. When they, they didn't even see me, they just heard about me. They didn't even witness it for themselves, but they heard how God had worked in my life. They heard how God was using me, and they gave glory to God. They was like, Paul? Who? You mean that Paul? Yeah, that Paul. Are you sure? Yeah, and he's doing this for Christ, and he's doing this for Christ, and he's sharing the gospel. They just backed up and said, glory be to God, hallelujah, because if he's come to Christ, I know God is powerful. And they began to glorify God because of him. His life was a canvas that God was painting a beautiful illustration upon. And the canvas just looks out. It can't see itself. It's just on display for others to walk by and say, look how good that picture looks. So I, some of your lives, you've been going through some things and, you, and, and you're scared to show off your past. But beloved, I'm here to tell you today that God wants to paint a masterpiece of your life. He wants to hang it up on his wall and he wants people to walk by and say, oh, look how good God is. If he could do this for them, I wonder what he could do for me. If he can deliver them out of this situation, I wonder if he could deliver me out. Our lives need to be a witness for others. Why do I say this? Because the scriptures tell us so. What does your life look like since Jesus? You say you saved, right? 
Do you remember how you used to be? Do you remember when you met Jesus? Now, how about now? What do you look like since you met him? How do you look like since Jesus came into your life? How is God using you? What is God using you for? Do people give God glory because of your life? Or do they grumble because of your life? Have you consumed God's grace? Or do you exude God's grace? 2 Corinthians tells us why you go through what you go through. You want to know why you go through what you go through? 2 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 3 and 4 tells you why you go through what you go through. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. God puts you through stuff so you could be a blessing to somebody else. Are you being a blessing to somebody? Do we got to pry your hands open for you to share your story with us? Don't you know the power of a testimony? God will use your story to set somebody else free. He did not save you for yourself. He saved you for us, for the body of Christ, and for those unbelievers who need to hear the gospel. So think about it. That's how you share your testimony. Because many times we, we share our testimonies, and we hear this, woe is me story, but it always points back to me. A testimony, so, you know what, somebody should be able to get saved from your testimony because it got so much Jesus in it. It ain't about you, I, I, it's about look what God has done, Jesus saved, he called me, he rescued me, you want to meet him too? In order to share a, test, a testimony, should be at least, should be three parts. What your life was like before you met Jesus. And you ain't got to get into all nasty, ugly details but you need to, that, you got to be, be honest with somebody, okay? Like, this is how I used to be. Yeah, I may not have got intentions, I got good grades, I always kept a job. But you know how prideful I was? You know how arrogant I was? I looked down on the marginalized. I looked down on the oppressed. Why can't they just put themselves up by their own bootstraps like I just did? And I, and I was so arrogant. That's sin before God. But then you should be able to tell people when you met Jesus. I was at such and such a place, and I heard such and such a word at such and such a time, or over such and such period of my life. My parents taught me such and such truths. They all pointed back to Christ. And one day, by his mercy and grace, purely not my own doing, he, he sent forth his Holy Spirit and gave a dead man life. And that's what he did for me. not about, oh, yeah, and I was, and I was hustling, and I, and I just got my life together. No, nah, you was a wreck. God saved you. He saved you. 
Now look what God has been doing since then. I didn't know what God wanted to do with me in, in the body of Christ. I just I said, Lord, just help me be faithful. Wherever you put me, I'll serve. I, I'm not going to be a, a pew sitter. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to make myself available. That's what God wants you to do. He didn't say sign up for something. He just says, make yourself available. Just, just, just show your face and say, how can I be of service to you today? Just show up and say, well, I got such and such gift, such and such talent. Maybe God may want to use that for some of his purposes. Because he does. That's a testimony. Who you used to be, how God saved you, which you are not. You've just been equipped to share the gospel with everybody you come in contact with this week. You know, some of you in here today were lost in your sin. And I encourage you to tell your story. Open up about what God has done for you down through the years. How he's taken some of those tastes away, some of those affections. But you know, some of you in here, you're lost today. And you're lost in sin. You don't know when you were saved. You can't express a profession of faith. You, you, you don't even know what the gospel is. But guess what? That's okay. Because the gospel frees us from judging you like that. Because the gospel says freely you come. God created all things. He is the sustainer, the creator. We're accountable to him. He created man in his own image. And then uh, uh, mankind rebelled against God, choosing to live his own life. And fell into sin that now they're eternally separated from the goodness of God. Their, their, their vertical relationship has been broken. Their horizontal relationship has been broken. And there is a, a, a desire within man to try to work, himself back, work his way back to God. But he cannot work as hard as he may try. So God knew of man's condition, sent forth his son, Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died on Calvary's cross, and buried in the tomb. And three days later, he rose again with all power in his hand, and he sits right now on the right hand of the Father, interceding on your behalf. Do you want to trust him? Because that's the gospel. I'm a sinner in aid of grace. To be a Christian, you need to love Jesus and depend upon him daily. That's it. Don't sign up to be uh, uh, on the deacon board. Don't, don't sign up to be an usher. Don't, don't sign up for stuff. Sign up for Jesus. I love Jesus, and I depend upon him daily. You know how it is when you first love Joe Boo. On the phone all the time. Before y'all had phones like that, y'all was writing letters all the time. Now y'all just texting all the time. But the people you love most are always on your mind. So if your mind ain't stayed on Jesus, do you love him? Love Jesus and depend upon him daily. What does that mean? That means I actually look to Jesus for, for, for guidance throughout my life. To depend upon Jesus and say, I will do such and such because Jesus wants me to do such and such. And I won't do such and such because Jesus don't want me to do such and such. To depend upon Jesus is not to depend upon yourself, your wisdom, but God's wisdom here in the word of God. Some of you are lost. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, 
sent forth his son. Grace. The gospel of Jesus Christ frees you from all guilt, from all shame, from all defeat. If God could rescue a prideful, self-seeking, self-serving, man-pleasing, false-worshipping, threatening, murdering terrorists like Paul, just think what he could do with you. But you have to tell your story because there's power in the testimony. Because the gospel completely frees. Know that God will use the past of his people to accomplish his present purposes. Let us pray. Father, thank you for your word and for the fact that you use our mess to create a masterpiece. Thank you, Lord, that you rescued us out of darkness and brought us into the light. We no longer have to try to figure out our way or find our way, but you lead the way through Jesus Christ. So, Father, I beg that you would give sight to the blind right now. I ask that you would give hearing to the deaf right now. I ask that you would give a heart of flesh to those who have a heart of stone right now. Father, help us to realize how miserable and wicked and hopeless we are apart from Christ. Help us to realize just how good the gospel is. So, Father, I pray that we will be a people not ashamed of where you brought us from and that we would declare what you have done in our lives that others may come to know Jesus just as you have called us. So, Father, I pray that you would just bring a revival here, that people would become passionate about the lost, that we would love those who are lost, that we would love those who are heading straight to hell, that we would love those who have turned their back on you just by sharing the gospel. So, Father, we love you and we thank you for the privilege. In Jesus' precious and holy name we do pray. Amen. What's your story? Whatever it may be, God can use it. You may be here and you have not 